Welcome to McGonigal's Chronicles, Making Montana Connections. I'm KRTV KXLH anchor Tim McGonigal. Greg Gianforte's road to the Montana Governor's Office has been an eventful one. It included time working in software development before launching Right Now Technologies with his wife Susan, also an engineer, in Bozeman in the mid-1990s. The company was acquired by Oracle in 2011 for $1.5 billion. His political career has been marked by some rocky moments. He lost a bid for the governor's job to Steve Bullock in 2016. The following year, he ran for Montana's open seat in the U.S. House, left vacant by Ryan Zinke. On the eve of that election, Gianforte was involved in a highly publicized assault of a reporter in Bozeman. He still managed to win the seat, which he defended in 2018. Two years later, he won the governor's race. Recently, traveling with him along the Montana High Line, I was able to learn more about his life both politically and personally. Here's our interview with Montana Governor Greg Gianforte. We're on the road with uh, Governor Greg Gianforte, part of your 56-county tour. And, uh, you know, it's a chance. We, we see you in the, in the Capitol, uh, you know, signing bills and uh, things like that. But there's probably a lot of people that, that want to know about, about you. So, so tell us, we were in Cut Bank recently, and we had a, had a student at Cut Bank High School ask you, how did you get from to where you are today? So, so, so tell us, the, as you said, the Reader's Digest uh, version. Well, I, <laughs> first, I, I love being on the road. I don't, I don't think the, the truth lives in Helena. It lives out in these communities across the state. Uh, for me, I, I first came to Montana 45 years ago as a ninth grader. I had a World War II vet who was my junior high school science teacher, and he had trained at Maelstrom. I flew P-51s and I fell in love with Montana. The only way he could get here on a public school teacher's salary from Pennsylvania uh, was to bring two van loads of ninth graders with him. So we drove all the way across the country in 1976, and it's interesting the impact a teacher can have because four people on that trip in 1976 ended up moving to Montana and I was one of them and uh, Susan and I uh, raised our family in Bozeman Uh, of course I've been in the technology business I'm an electrical engineer and uh, we because of the work ethic here we we've been really blessed we've been able to succeed in business and create jobs and and then when that business was purchased uh, by Oracle after becoming the largest commercial employer in Bozeman. It was like, what's next? And, and I, I just think that the purpose of work is to serve others. And I, I didn't really see Montana living up to its full potential. So uh, Steve Daines, he and I had worked together for 12 years in our technology business in Bozeman. I saw him make the transition into public service. And that's really what it motivated me that, uh, to get into public service. So you served... Uh two terms in Congress? Or? Yeah, one and a half. One and I half. filled uh, uh, Ryan Zinke's seat when right. he became Secretary of Interior in 2017 and then re-elected by the people of Montana in 2018 uh, and then ran for governor in 2020. You, you've done uh, both uh, Congress and uh, now the governor. Which uh, which one do you prefer? Well, I, I learned a lot in Washington. Uh, we made great friends there um, and I learned a lot and, and 
actually my respect in our founding fathers and the way they structured structured the Constitution and the way we have a deliberative legislative process, uh, I think makes me a better governor because I appreciate how the legislative process works now. Uh, but I'm a CEO, and uh, uh, I I ran for governor because I thought I could have more impact, and and that's that's you know to date that's been the case. I uh, I like. Just like I did in the private sector, I like putting teams together and uh, you know coalescing around strategy and then lining people out. Uh, that's essentially what I do as governor. Yeah. So, uh, like you said, we were in Cutbank uh, earlier in, in the day of this recording. Uh, interesting students uh, with with the different uh, clubs and activities that they're taking part in. How? Talk again about how important that is for. For kids, not to just—it's I mean, important to be hitting the books and stuff like that. But for for the other things that they're doing, the the health and the occupational safety and the uh, uh, welding and the, the business classes that they're taking, uh, how does that how does that make you feel to see kids, you know, taking an interest in that? Well, it's critically important. I think I'm a our administration, a real priority has been in this career and technical education. And it was interesting hearing the, the, those seniors at Cutbank High in the welding program. Uh, they had gotten as much. It was interesting to them comment about many of them may become welders of one construction. Uh, others were going to do go in different directions. But uh, I asked them what they learned the most, and they commented on the mentorship of their teacher. And uh, not just teaching them welding, but teaching them about life. And, uh, again, I go back to that point. I mean, our teachers do such an important job. And in, in K-12 education, we've got to expose our students to more than just this path to a four-year degree. Um, we need engineers. We need doctors. We need nurses from four-year programs. But we also need carpenters and plumbers and electricians. These are good-paying jobs in high demand. And we should ex- be exposing students to this through career and technical education at the high school and junior high level so that they can make an informed decision about uh, the direction that they're going to take in life. When I'm sure when you got to Bozeman uh, years ago, it's, it's obviously changed. It's probably changed from when you were there, I guess, earlier today. You know, it's, it's oh, there's always a new building going up or something, but... Uh, that's another thing that's on, I, I think, the minds of a lot of Montanas, not just Bozeman, but, uh, heck, even Great Falls. Uh, the, the affordable housing and places, like you said, their houses need to be built. And, and how, how can you, as governor, help help in that regard? Well, change is constant. And I ran on uh, two key things. One is more good-paying jobs so that Montanans that uh, want to make a life here can make a life here. And secondly, we got to protect our way of life. And I think that's the fear that's on the minds of a lot of Montanans now is with so many people moving in, are we going to keep what's precious about Montana? Uh, and uh, we kind of joke about Bozeman, you know, it's the it's my home. I love it. We've raised our four kids there. But uh, probably, maybe, probably the best thing about it is it's anymore, it's it's not very far from Montana. It's sort of like it's it's a different culture. And uh, housing prices are through the roof. And the, the underlying issue there is the demand has just completely outstripped supply. Uh, and from a governmental perspective, what I think what we need to do is we need to help increase the supply. 
Uh, we're going to do that by investing in trades education. That's why I made it a priority during the last legislative session to create scholarships for small business. We'll pay any employer 50% of the tuition to you know, invest in their employees. Uh, we've got to streamline the permitting. I've heard from the construction industry that it's just difficult to get permits, uh, and we can do better than that. So um, sometimes we want to hold on to exactly the way things were. Uh, things are going to change. Montana's been discovered. Uh, I just want to make sure that uh, people understand they come here and assimilate, uh, become part of our communities, and add vibrancy. That's why we've made it a real focus uh, to rec- We've been exporting Montanans for decades. Uh, that's why at Department of Commerce, we're investing in our Come Home Montana program. One benefit of recruiting Montanans to come back home is they bring that Montana culture with them. Okay. Uh, I know you also asked some of those kids back at Ketbank uh, if any of them were thinking of starting a business. I don't know if any of them raised their hand, but uh, if if someone is going to start a business or is seriously thinking about it, starting a business, you're a successful businessman. What What's your advice to, to someone who's thinking, i got to take this leap, but I'm a little skeptical. But if they finally do take that leap, what, what's your advice? Well, I, I prior to being in the governor's office, I would mentor about... 200 Montana entrepreneurs a year. Uh, I wrote a book on how to start a business with uh, very little money. I give that book away free of charge to anybody that is interested in starting a business. Um, You can get it at uh, uh, bozeman.com, which is my personal website. It's called Bootstrapping Your Business. And uh, it really, starting a business is really hard work, uh, but it's not complicated. You got to find a customer. You got to figure out how to fill a need for them, and then you got to be able to charge uh, a little more than what the customer thinks it's worth, and that's how you get a profit. Uh, that's what we do in our software business, and it can be done at value-added ag. And I've been so encouraged as I travel the state because Montana has uh, we had record level new business starts last year. Uh, Montana is has been recently nominated as the best state in the country to start a business. Uh, We passed some legislation last session. I call it the entrepreneur magnet. If you start and grow a business here, um, you get to keep the fruits of your labor. Uh, Because it's very simple, uh, Tim. Like, if, If the goal is more good paying jobs, jobs are created by businesses. Businesses are created by entrepreneurs. So if you have more entrepreneurs starting businesses, we're going to have more jobs, and that's going to create better opportunities for Montanans. Not everybody's cut out to be an entrepreneur. That's okay, uh, but uh, we've got to we've got to raise some of our own. And uh, I'm I'm really encouraged to be partnering with the state chamber and other groups in doing that. It's uh, I know a lot of successful business people believe in, in giving back to uh, to their communities or to their state and I know the Gianforte Family Foundation gives away countless dollars to different organizations what uh, tell me why that's uh, so important to you well I, you know we've been blessed Susan and I've raised our four kids here we've had business success we've created jobs uh, and uh, I think to whom much is given much is expected and our heart is in Montana we feel an obligation to help people with a hand up. Um, that's why we focus on the things we do. We don't talk about our charitable giving very much, but it's 
it's an important part of our lives for both Susan and I and our family. We involve our, our kids in the work that we do. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's really a joy uh, to see. I, there's some, you know, just really encouraging things we've gotten involved with and strengthening families so the kids have better outcomes, uh, providing scholarships for, uh, in technology. Susan's gotten involved with STEM education for particularly young girls. She's a mechanical engineer, and I'm an electrical engineer, so I, we just uh, we're a big fan of STEM education. Not that that's right for everybody, but where we can help and encourage and support, we want to do that. Okay. When you uh, took over as governor, it was uh, in the middle of the whole COVID-19, and it looks like maybe we're finally putting that in the rearview mirror, but how difficult was that to to come into the to the governorship during that time? Well, it, it was a you know there were there were tragedies in people's lives almost every day. I mean, it, there's no family uh, in Montana that wasn't directly touched by uh, the pandemic. Uh, but I felt very strongly that uh, I'm a big believer in personal liberty, and I think the role of government is to uh, educate communicate, but not to mandate. So we had to unwind a bunch of things that had been done uh, be, so that Montanans could make the right decisions for themselves. Nobody can make a better decision for themselves or their family than that individual. Nobody cares more than that individual. That's why we, and we were suffering not just from a health pandemic, but also from an economic pandemic. And we worked on day one to start unwinding that. And, uh, and then get the incentives back on work. We were the first state in the country to end the supplemental uh, benefits to, to not work um, because uh, uh, getting our economy going was a top priority. And I'm proud that we've been able to drive the unemployment down to the lowest we've ever seen in the history of the state, 2.3%. Uh, uh, we've just recently learned of great GDP growth. Uh, again, with this tight labor market, it's tough for businesses to to find people. Uh, but uh, our economy's humming, and I still I am an optimist. I think our best days are ahead of us. Okay. When uh, we look at the political climate throughout the nation, it seems like maybe more divisive than than in years past. And do you agree with that? And how how can America and Montana, I guess, uh, overcome that? Well, I just did a uh, uh, talk in Missoula at the Mansfield Center on bipartisanship. And I think that people become ferocious when they get on social media and behind a keyboard. And what we're missing is the relationship. That's why when I was in Washington representing Montana, uh, I cooked once a week and had both Republicans and Democrats over. And we have dear friends that are... Republicans and dear friends that are Democrats there. Um, Susan and I have been married coming on 34 years. And from that experience, I know that two people don't agree on everything. That's okay. Uh, but we've got to disagree with respect, not with name calling. Uh, and unfortunately, social media doesn't help us in that regard. Uh, people, and things are much worse in Washington than they are here uh, in Montana. Uh, in the last legislative session, over two-thirds of the bills that I signed into law uh, included Democrat votes in the legislature. In fact, 
69% of all the bills that made it to my desk had 80 to 100% approval rating in the, in the House and the Senate. Uh, so we had bipartisanship on almost everything. Uh, and I think good ideas come from Republicans, Democrats, and independents. Jordan Peterson, in his book, uh, 12 Rules for Life, uh, has a really good rule which says he suggests you should go into every conversation expecting to learn something, and that's something I try and practice. I think everybody's voice needs to be heard. Uh, I have certain core principles that I ran on uh, that I won't compromise, uh, but that doesn't mean I can't listen to people and uh, with respect and incorporate that into uh, the work that we do for the people of Montana. How do you, uh, speaking of social media, how do you as a, as a public figure, as a very public figure in Montana, uh, how do you deal with some of the things that, that people say about you or, or write about you? Uh, I mean, it's almost seems like a, you know, the center fielder who's getting screamed at in Yankee stadium and he's playing for the Red Sox or something like that. (laughs) How do you put that well, I guess your, your skin just gets thicker over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and people are, you know, when people are upset and name-calling, uh, there's some there's some thread of truth in what they're saying. There's Something's driving that passion. And I try and understand what is that thing. Because if you study organizational dynamics and particularly group decision-making, center, even if they don't prevail, their dissenting input makes the collective decision better. And you have to listen to try and find that thread of truth in what's motivated them to be so passionate about something. Um, So, and I try and do that. Um, And so that's, and I, I thought when I was running a public company, dealing with all the big wigs on Wall Street and traveling the world, visiting with... I thought I was in the deep end of the pool and then I got into public service and realized I had been in the kiddie pool the whole time, uh, just given the ferociousness with which people pursue their passions. But you got to listen for that thread of truth. Okay. Who, uh, who inspires you as a leader or either in business or in, in your time in, in government? Who... Who do you try? Is there anybody that you've tried to maybe emulate? Or well, I'm a I'm a student of history. I read a lot. I probably read four or five books a month. And, okay. Um, we think today is the most partisan period, and it's the worst. And uh, someone coined the term once chronological snobbery, which is basically means you think what's happening today is the most important. But you go back. I just recently read a biography on Abraham Lincoln. You think about the time during the Civil War where he navigated a period when the North was at war with the South over a very divisive issue. Uh, And I think the way he handled it uh, with respect for everyone and yet abiding by his core principles and not going so far beyond what the constituents that elected him were willing to support is a very instructive lesson. Uh, another book I read recently about the territorial period in Montana, uh, it's interesting to note that when 
Abraham Lincoln signed the paperwork that made Montana a territory. That was in 1864. Um, our legislature was popular, elected by popular vote. In those days, we had uh, uh, 13 members of the House and six councilmen that were called, but they were really uh, what became our Senate. So our entire legislative body was 19 people. And uh, so they first met in Bannock in 1864, but under the enabling legislation for the territory, our governor was appointed by the U.S. president and confirmed by the Senate. So just to bring people back to that time, almost all of the 15,000 people in the state, in the territory of Montana in 1864, were um, Confederate Democrat soldiers who were fleeing the South because the war was still, Civil War was still going on. So Abe Lincoln appoints a Union Army officer as the governor uh, of Mon territorial Montana, confirmed by the U.S. Senate. He shows up to give his inaugural address uh, in Bannock and basically calls the legislators secessionists and people that were trying to preserve people in slavery and treasonous and it was probably one of the most political speeches ever delivered in the state of Montana. Uh, he was promptly thrown out of the state. And Lewis and Clark County, where Helena is located, used to be called Edgerton County. Uh, but after they threw Governor Edgerton, who was the first territorial governor out of the state, uh, they renamed it Lewis and Clark County. So there are times in our history that are much more uh, uh, partisan than they are today. Okay. When it's all said and done, after you've been governor and uh, maybe even beyond that, how, how do you want people to remember? How do you think people will remember Greg Gianforte? Well, uh, I, I'm not sure I've thought much about a legacy. <laughs> uh, I ran on a very simple platform, which uh, our, Susan and I raised our four kids here. Uh, we now have grandchildren. I love my kids, but I, as many families find out, I love my grandkids even more. <laughs> Um, and I'd like to see them more. But three of our four kids don't live in the state anymore. Okay. And I know there's a lot of Montana families uh, that would like to have their kids and grandkids back. And if when I'm done in public service here in Montana, uh, families remember me because their kids are around the table on Sunday afternoon uh, and they get to go to t-ball games, uh, that would be a legacy I'd be proud of. Okay. Have you decided if you will run for governor again? Oh, if the people of Montana want me for another four years, uh, that'll probably be enough. You've been listening to a conversation with Montana Republican Governor Greg Gianforte, who served as the state's lone representative in the U.S. House from 2017 through 2021 before being inaugurated as Montana's chief executive. I urge you to subscribe to McGonigal's Chronicles wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to rate the podcast. And also follow the podcast on social media. I'll be back soon with another guest with a Montana Connection. Until then, for McGonagall's Chronicles, making Montana connections, I'm Tim McGonagall.